the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, it, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he bent me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If if Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mention a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. trip of wrestling i am your host jp john puzz and this is today's famed feature episode of part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire today's episode of course is brought to you by mlw check out mlw.com also check out mlwradio.com and while you're at it check out mlw on the dazone app of course dazone is d-a-z-n check it out for live and on-demand streaming sports yes access to sports anytime anywhere that is mlw on the zone of course today's episode is with dominic garini the crippler of canton ohio the bone collector the mlw star dominic is of course also a purple belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu he so he's a big grappling star a big submission star as well he's been in the pan am games he's been in the world championships he's been in the adcc he's been in the naga he's been in grappler quest he's been in ibjjf he's i mean 
basically done it all really in jiu-jitsu he's still working on becoming a black belt but that is not too far in the distant future for him of course today in today's episode it's all about mlw and yes of course we do talk about aiw over there in Ohio, we talk about Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae and what he really learned from Johnny Gargano and how he still applies that today. We talk all about Timothy Thatcher, Biff Busick, a.k.a. Oni Lorcan. We also talk about Drew Gulak as well, but really the main focus is Core Powers MLW. And we talk about his affiliation with Team Filthy and Tom Lawler and what that is all about and what's going on with that team. Obviously, the other member of that team is Eric Stevens. And really the relationship and chemistry between that team and how great it's been and main eventing the ECW Arena show for MLW back in February. 2300 arena as some fans may know it today but really i mean when you talk about it, it is the ecw arena and he was such a big fan of ecw and he used to even watch ecw when it was on sun sports down in florida so i mean he's a big ecw fan and we talk about what it's like to be in that situation where you're basically main eventing in an arena where it's hollowed ground and you're once a huge huge fan of it so that's a really cool experience as well we talk about his debut in mlw and kind of you know working his way up the ranks and see where he's going where mlw is going and what they have in store in the future obviously when this pandemic and this covid 19 is kind of behind them they will be back doing live shows and running tours all over the world not just in the united states but all over the world that's for sure we do also talk about dream matches and kind of where he sees himself so that's some fun topics as well so just remember folks MLW on the zone is coming at you and that is just really really cool not only can you watch MLW on YouTube and you can get them on BN Sports being available on the zone is really really cool as well now a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire is taking you to school with Dr. Tom Pritchard on the TMPT feed also just announced today is Taskmaster Talks with Kevin Sullivan, which will be available on the Creative Control Network. We have Rick Bassman's Talking Tough and Three-Way Dance, which is available on Podcast One. We have Shane Douglas's Triple Threat Podcast, which is available on the Russo brand. And last but certainly not least, the University of Dutch with Dutch Mantel over on MLW Radio. So let's send it on over to the interview with one and only the crippler of Canton, Ohio, the bone collector himself. Dominic Garini. Sound the battle call. You can never knock me off of my square. It's a boss here, we're taking you off here. This is gold chain warfare, a clean kill. Mugs is in the kitchen cooking up mean meals, no less eat. Validated by the best beats. Straight from FC where nothing is sugary. Medallion is the name cause I shine like jewelry. More jewelry. We keep it OG, schooly D. The deathbed will be your sooner be. If it all comes down, it's just you and me. Get ready for some heavy artillery. I beat down punks, cut them up in chunks. I know the past is the past, but your history sucks. Let some real shit happen, get your captain crunch. I'm Captain Chunks, and yo, unpass the pump. That's what's up. The guy got the master touch, and that's what it is. 
one thing's for sure, you can get touched When the gods in the house fake, niggas get rushed I get on, make the shit sound plush Yo, and cats ain't fucking with us, that's what it is Soldiers, march I mutilate MCs with multi-metaphors The microphone predator Hit a set of war A fucking rock star Another political got fans Hypnotized like a Nazi general It's a two-shot kill with the Dillinger The fire from the iron got you losing your minerals Now watch me take this to the pinnacle Make the masterpiece and split the percentages Till I finish this Popping the screen My option to be Going gold and copping the key It's the deal of the century I'm halfway home Drop top roam Hopping out Covering the stones The money varies Politicking with the honey berry Lights out in the bathroom A good game of Bloody Mary Everything I write is legendary Vegetarian No lamb or ham Or chicken or turkey or hamburger Fucking with me It's suicide self-murder We bringing it back to what we call hip-hop And what I'm into jam Master J and Pop You say that you hot I say that you not I'm spraying some shots Even if you stay on the block And that's what it is One thing's for sure You can get touched When the gods in the house Fake niggas get rushed I get on Make the shit sound plush Yo, the cats ain't fucking with us, that's what it is One thing's for sure, you can get touched When the gods in the house fake, niggas get rushed I get on, make the shit sound plush Yo, the cats ain't fucking with us, that's what it is Joining us on the line right now is a man you might know as the Bone Collector or the Crippler of Canton, Ohio. He is, of course, MLW star Dominic Garini. Dominic, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Awesome. Thanks, guys, for having me on tonight. Now, today we want to kind of focus in on MLW and all things MLW, especially the fact that they are now on the DAZONE app which is great because it's a live and on-demand streaming service available to you. It's sports anywhere, anytime. But please tell us what's going on in your world and in the world of MLW. I mean, uh, much like everybody's world, it's almost kind of on pause right now. Um, Obviously, you know, the the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, you know, kind of putting everything on on a literal hold right now, uh, much like MLW, you know. Our last MLW show was the uh, MLW and AAA uh, Super Series down in Mexico. Um, and that was up until two weeks ago, my last match I had had until um, I was able to do uh, some independent stuff a couple weeks ago. But, yeah, pretty much just uh, hanging out, you know, studying wrestling as much as I can, hitting the gym, and uh, just get ready for the eventual MLW return. So when you're studying wrestling and stuff like that, what do you like? What do you look to? Is there something specific you like to watch and study? Are you studying like, uh, you know, maybe like a guy like Shamrock who, who meshes in the submission style? Like, what are you doing? What are you What are you watching? Um, I watch a lot of older UWFI stuff. So so like Shamrock back uh, when you know they were doing a lot of shoot style stuff. Uh, I'm a I'm a really big uh, Shibata fan. So I've been watching a lot of Shibata over the quarantine. Um, and then uh, I've also been trying to get ready for uh, this New Japan Lions break series that's going to have uh, Filthy Time on it here soon, you know, rep- representing MLW and Team Filthy in New Japan. Very, very cool. That's a very cool experience, obviously, with uh, 
New Japan taping out there in California. And Lawler, Tom Lawler, your partner in Team Filthy, making his debut for New Japan. The cool experience, uh, you think, it's going to be? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot of Tom's reference uh, styles come from order Japan wrestling. And uh, him, myself, and Eric Stevens, you know, we talk daily usually. And he was beyond excited uh, with the opportunity uh, to go out there. And, and, you know, if you follow Tom on any form of social media, the guy's always training, he's always ready. Um, so, you know, Tom definitely had, you know, Tom was definitely upset with, uh, you know, his pending return to MMA with the Pro Fight League. Um, getting kind of put on hold until, you know, they can figure out their game plan. So uh, to get New Japan in the meantime for him was a big get, and I'm, you know, beyond happy and excited for him. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely awesome. And it's kind of a surprise. People, I think, didn't realize that New Japan Pro Wrestling was taping. I think, you know, people got caught by surprise a little bit on that. For sure. And, I, you know, it's, it's smart New Japan's part. You know, obviously they're able to do a lot with their – with their domestic uh, stars in Japan, but the inability to get, you know, any of the foreign talent in from America really, you know, puts their kind of expansion plans on, on a hold. But, you know, this Lions break series and giving guys like Sophie Tom the chance to go out there and show off for them. And uh, another guy, I know pretty, pretty well, Russ Taylor, guys like that getting the opportunity to go out there uh, and perform and really show uh, the wider New Japan audience, you know, what their games are like and what they can bring to the table. Now, as far as yourself and, and being an MLW, I mean, you're pretty new to wrestling, basically, right? Four years in. So you get teamed with Tom Lawler and Eric Stevens. And Eric Stevens, obviously, vet, a long-time veteran of professional wrestling. Tom Lawler getting to, the, you know, that status. He's been around for a couple of years. What's it like being a part of Team Filthy in MLW? Uh, really, it's, it's the perfect marriage, you know. Uh, Tom, Eric, and I are, are actually all three real good friends outside of professional wrestling. Um, we all look out for each other. So when the chance came, you know, to come to MLW, you know, one of my hopes was that, you know, Tom and I would have some kind of affiliation, whether it be, you know, as opponents or as teammates. And then uh, we were able to get Eric to agree to come in and, uh, you know, come in under the Team Filthy banner. So it's really, it's a perfect, it's a perfect marriage, all three of us, uh, when you think about it. And it's really been a blessing, you know, and it, it really, it comes down to a lot of the stuff that uh, Court and I talk about where, you really can't, you can't really make the chemistry that three of us have because it's real uh, since we're all three friends in real life. And, you know, some groups, you know, wish they had that kind of chemistry and, you know, it's for us, it's just, it's just natural because of how close we all are. Yeah, that is excellent. I mean, a lot of groups, they just kind of throw together and you're like, yeah, this team doesn't make sense, but you guys really, you know, are friends and hang out backstage and, you know, really are buddies. Is that sometimes not detrimental, but is that almost like you guys, or getting sick of each other at all, or is that a, it's a good thing? You get get to spend a lot of time together. Nope, it, it's a, it's a great thing. You know, we get to spend a lot of time together. We get to bounce a lot of ideas off each other, and really, all three of us have you know a lot of the same similar tastes. You know, and 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 wrestling. You know, and in a lot of things in life too. So it really helps us out. You know, and it it gives us you know a really good you know bonding experience, and it really helps us out in terms of having that common ground, especially for some of these longer MLW weekends. You know. Like when we were out in San Diego, uh, in Mexico, you know, that was three days during the start of quarantine, you know, and Tom and I were there the whole time. And, you know, that was, that was helpful, you know, in a real tense situation where, you know, we don't know what's going on in the world. Everything's kind of imploding. And, you know, you got a familiar face there to help you through it. Um, uh, Eric wasn't on that trip, but, you know, in Philadelphia, you know, back earlier, you know, we spent three days together. You know, I had some flight issues um, and, you know, Tom was there and, 
you know, it made my life a lot easier having a friend there that was like, okay, well, I don't take off till you know, nine. So if your fight gets canceled, we've had somebody to hang out with. Speaking of that weekend, you got a main event to show at the ECW arena back in February, which is really, really cool. And kind of a, you know, great honor. If you think about just the history of Philadelphia and the history of that building, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, it was my second time in the ECW arena. The first time I was in the arena was when I was working with Evolve. And I remember being pretty pretty upset because I was disappointed because I wasn't on that card as a wrestler. I pretty much just was a manager. And it wasn't like what I expected and what I wanted. You know, the 2300 arena or what is known as the ECW arena is such a legendary arena. And for uh, someone like me, I grew up with watching ECW on Sun Sports in Florida when I was growing up in Florida. So, like, the building holds a very special claim to me. Also, ECW is what really drew me to independent wrestling in like the mid 2000s. Um, so it was so important to me wanting to become a wrestler. So to get the opportunity to main event the ECW arena, it's just one of a kind and something that, you know, I'm, it's up there as one of the coolest things I've gotten a chance to do. You know, also, you know, the ability to wrestle, you know, Killer Cross in his last match before going to WWE was also really cool. Yeah, it really, really kind of, if you think about just the history, especially being a big fan like you were, I mean, the ECW arena is definitely some sacred ground. Whether or not they change it, obviously, it's a little bit nicer if, if anybody has <laughs> yep. been there before. It is definitely nicer, but it, it's still, you know, it's still the sacred ground, and it's still uh, just an absolute honor. So, I mean, that is cool that you were a fan, and, like, that kind of tie into it kind of adds more significance to it. Absolutely. So you obviously, I mean, like I said, started it probably was right around 2016. You debuted in wrestling. Yeah, but in March of 2016, and I always will remember the day because it was the the day of the first Conor McGregor Nate Diaz fight, the one where Nate Diaz choked him out. Because mm-hmm. I I missed watching that fight because I was debuting in pro wrestling that night. What a great fight that was! That was a great night. But that's pretty cool, like a little tidbit. Like, oh yeah, by the way, that was the night I debuted. Can't forget that. Yep. Uh, I think that, I mean, you might have a different opinion, but I think Nate Diaz won the second fight as well. But uh, I don't know if you yeah, would agree. Then, that second fight, it's a, it's a razor close call. And obviously, you know, it, it's what it is, especially in MMA judging. You know, this is a very timely thing coming off of that very, very, very controversial uh, Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway decision from this weekend. Uh, it just comes back down to the 10 point must not being the best MMA judging system out there. And, you know, maybe we should be judging fights based as a whole as opposed to, you know, just rounds one through five, ten points on each round. Yeah, we need to go back to pride rules uh, for sure. Yeah. As far as not even just, you know, kicks the head, stuff like that, but I'm, uh, I really think the judging needs to be judged yep. the whole fight, not not round by round, that's for sure. So Absolutely. you have a background, a little bit of a little judo, a little MMA, a lot of uh, BJJ, a lot of jiu-jitsu. How did you kind of make the transition from that world and the submission grappling world into the pro wrestling world? Yeah, so I was always a big pro wrestling fan, and this is something that I always say. I was a big pro wrestling fan. When I was 15 and 16, I really thought I was going to go to wrestling school at 16 and be the next, you know, superstar. Uh, then I joined the high school wrestling team, and I kind of didn't necessarily fall in love with wrestling, but I, I didn't like wrestling the same. And when I joined the high school wrestling team, I started to find MMA. And I started to really engulf myself in MMA. And through MMA, I found uh, some best of Abu Dhabi submission fighting, uh, you know, uh, DVDs. And then that made me really invested in jiu-jitsu. 
so I started jujitsu based on a recommendation from, of all people, Triple C, Henry Cejudo. My high school wrestling coach was in a, was an Olympic alternate who did a lot of training of Olympians, and he had trained Henry. And Henry was with me and my crew, like me and some other people at the UFC. I'm going to say it was 90, it might have been 96. It was the Jardine Rampage fight in Columbus, and we were at the weigh-ins. And Henry Cejudo was with us, and I brought up to him while he was with us about I was thinking about starting jiu-jitsu. And he really encouraged me to start jiu-jitsu. And uh, literally the week after that, I started. Um, originally, I started jiu-jitsu with the game plan of I'm going to fight MMA. Um, but I started to get really into the sport aspect of jiu-jitsu uh, and competing. And I kind of transitioned away from wanting to be an MMA fighter into wanting to win a jiu-jitsu world title. So I dedicated about five years of my life to that. Um, in the in March of 2015, I did the Pan Ams, which is the second biggest term of the year. And I went up against a guy named Andrew Wiltsey. Uh He is now a black belt uh, out of Daisy Fresh uh, Jiu-Jitsu and, and Pedagogy Submission Systems. And he is probably one of the be- best American Jiu-Jitsu players in the game right now uh, as a fresh black belt. He just won on Fight to Win on Friday night, um, which is like the biggest, most one of the bigger Jiu-Jitsu companies out there right now. And um, he really just, just beat me bad and it was at that point that I kind of thought maybe I'm not going to be able to achieve what I want to achieve here in Jiu-Jitsu and that's a world title so I ended up going and winning the Chicago Open after that I did the Worlds and I had another bad performance the Worlds so I took a week off and I had never taken a week off of Jiu-Jitsu at that point in my life and during that week off I went to a Monday Night Raw in Cleveland and my favorite wrestler and I, I will sit on a bashly in almost every interview that I do is Kevin Steiner, Kevin Owens and he had a big spot on that Raw. He powerbombed Machine Gun Kelly off the stage. And it was at that time I was like, you know what? I think I want to go into wrestling. And uh, I did a quick Google search, and I found the AIW Wrestling Academy based out of Cleveland, Ohio, led by Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae, now Gargano. And uh, I made my decision that I would, you know, take the commute up there twice a week uh, to start my pro wrestling training. And it was really a godsend to train with Johnny and Candice, because they've been around so long, and Johnny had been working in Evolve so long with guys like Drew Gulak, uh, Tim Thatcher, and Biff Busick, you know, guys that really worked grappling style, and, and he really knew a way to kind of speak to me and say, hey, this is how you can get your real-world experience over. This is how you can do – you can transition your jiu-jitsu into pro wrestling. And then I did an Evolve seminar, I think about six months after I debuted, and I got a really good chance to work with Drew Gulak at that seminar – and he could tell how different I was, and he was very adamant into keeping me different. And also, Ring of Honor star Hot Sauce Trace Williams was also a big help in that and always told me to, to stay true to myself and, and always keep that jiu-jitsu in my back pocket because it was something that, you know, not a lot of guys have. So that was really kind of like the transition from jiu-jitsu into pro wrestling. Very cool. And obviously, you know, Gargano, big star in NXT right now. What did you kind of learn from him? I know you said to, to kind of stay different. He taught you some submission. But what did you learn from him as far as kind of like taking your game to that next level? Uh, Johnny really has – when you look at Johnny, Johnny taught me so much about wrestling just in terms of how to put matches together, in terms of signature move sets, in terms of – when and where to use things um, because in the current state of wrestling, a lot of guys just want to spam everything. But Johnny, when he was teaching us at the Academy, you know, always to us, 
these moves have a certain spot in this place, these moves have a certain spot in this place. It was also really adamant on to the ide- ideology of making sure you have six moves that you're always going to be anywhere between five to seven moves you're always going to be known for and that you can always pull out that the fans will recognize. He always used it as uh, kind of like uh, – he used it as, a, as, a, as going to see your favorite band. If I went and saw my favorite band, which one of my favorite bands is Nirvana, and if I went and saw Nirvana and they didn't play Smells Like Teen Spirit and they didn't, and they didn't play uh, Hardship Box, they didn't play things like that, I'd be pissed off if they all played, if they played an entirely new album. Like, I'd still enjoy the experience because I'm getting to see Nirvana, but I'm going to be like, man, that's not what I paid for. And that was kind of how he ingrained in us, like, hey, make sure that you establish these seven things that you can always break out. And then every once in a while, you break out that brand new song and the crowd goes wild for it. That is good psychology, if you think about it. I mean, a lot of the greats uh, have those signature moves that you always kind of know and you're always kind of expecting. And, you know, you always pop for it. You know what I mean? So that is, yep. that is great to establish those, like you said, seven moves or, you know, whatever it may be, that is great psychology. You think that that was easy to adapt, hard to adapt? I mean, was it kind of a take a while to really learn that? Because that's some, you know, pretty good psychology. Uh, For Johnny, for sure. I mean, Johnny had been around for a while there, you know. He had been working with DGUSA. He had been working with Chikara. He had worked with, you know, Evolve. So I think he had finally gotten it down to pretty much a perfect science, and that was what he brought down to us. The other thing that Johnny and Candace really did to me was they always told me to never make anything look too pretty because there should always be a certain greediness to my style and, and what I do uh, because, I'm a, you know, I come from a martial art and I come from a fighting background, so everything should have a little greediness to it. Nothing should ever be super pretty. So that was always another thing that they always kind of instilled upon me. Are you still doing the jujitsu? Like, what what belt are you at right now? If you, are you still uh, so, doing it full time? Um, or part time, really? Belt. Yeah, I'm still a purple belt. Uh, the quarantine stuff has has really you know hit us hard. Especially you know jujitsu is another community that got hit hard with quarantine and whatnot. Um, I'm still I still am at active training at East Coast Martial Arts here in Canton, Ohio, um, under Chad Coon. Um, but I have not had a chance to train in almost two months. Uh, the gym was closed for almost two months. And since we've come back, um, I am the head instructor at the AW Wrestling Academy, or I'm one of the two head instructors at the AW Wrestling Academy. So via that, I can't also co- coexist into the jiu-jitsu environment because, you know, they don't want the possibility of, you know, possible COVID contamination and things like that. So via, you know, kind of being both places, I'm waiting until – you know, we get a little bit of breakthrough, and then I'll be back to jiu-jitsu full-time, um, hopefully, you know, two to three times a week, which is what I was at before the quarantine. I was still, you know, training pro wrestling two days a week, jiu-jitsu two days a week, and then taking all my wrestling bookings on the weekends. Is it hard training both? You know what I mean? Like, was that difficult on you if, when, if you would train pro wrestling and jiu-jitsu? Not necessarily. It was more of a time constraint for a little bit. Because at a time when I was really heading up the AW Wrestling Academy before we brought Josh Prohibition in to help me out, uh, we were running four classes a week, Monday through Thursday. So I really didn't have any spare time to get to jiu-jitsu. But, you know, when we brought Josh on and we, and we scaled back to two days a week again, it really helped me out and it allowed me to get back into jiu-jitsu again because it was about probably four or five months where I was not able to get into jiu-jitsu just because I was, you know, in Cleveland, which is an hour away from Canton, you know, four nights a week. And it wasn't really a, an ability for me to get down here to to really train as much as I wanted to. But, you know, it was something that at the beginning of the year I kind of, you know, laid down the I kind of like – 
said to myself, I need to get, you know, training, you know, two to four, two, three days a week in jiu-jitsu, two or three days a week in wrestling. It makes my mind clear. It makes my body feel better, even though it's more work. But it's just something that also sharpens my overall wrestling skills because of clearly what I do in the ring, too. So if you think about, you know, your style, and obviously, you know, you got the background, a little bit of jiu-jitsu, you know, a little bit of MMA sprinkled in. What do you think is like kind of the functionality of, of wrestling and those submission holds? Do you think, it, you know, the marriage is just absolutely perfect and your style is able to just mash perfectly into pro wrestling? Yeah, I think that um, I'm able to bring a lot of like cool jiu-jitsu type submissions that people haven't necessarily seen and a lot of movements that people haven't seen, like, there's times where I'll do uh, what's now a pretty common move in, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu called the Berambolo, which is essentially a rolling back take. Um, I'm able to do stuff like that. Um, I'm able to do kind of what, you know, Matt Riddle became known for, which is what he calls the Pro Mission, but that's just the Twister, which was an Eddie Bravo famous move in Jiu-Jitsu for years. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at, like, guys like Zack Sabre Jr., they do the calf, they do the calf slicer, you know, AJ Styles, those are, you know, big jiu-jitsu moves that have been, you know, famous in jiu-jitsu for years, but are now starting that prominence in wrestling. And I really think that a lot of the cooler things you see in jiu-jitsu, you can bring to wrestling and people are really, you know, amazed by it. And that helps out a lot. And I think that a lot of pro wrestling is based off of catch style wrestling. Uh, you know, your double wrist locks, you know, your hip throws, things like that, uh, your heel hooks. And, and I think that those come into the game perfectly as well. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I love that that kind of like shoot style, and um, my, me myself, I, I, I've done jujitsu for a little bit of time. I'm only a blue belt. I mean, you would you would absolutely just murder me. But you know, it, it's fun rolling with some of the guys. It's always good rolling, kind of like with guys better than you, and you know, learning kind of these submissions and, and just watching even in, in pro wrestling, like Riddle or, or Zack Saber Jr. I mean, you could just learn a lot from those guys doing submissions in in jujitsu, but also learn a lot in pro wrestling too, right? Yeah, absolutely, and that was that was always one of the things that uh, Thatcher and me were always had this joke that we would roll with each other um, at some point, and, and you know Thatcher and I never got the chance just because the time schedules never worked out, and then you know we always wanted to roll, and even when I was in Germany last year for a couple of days, I, it just didn't work out timing wise. So one day, me and Tim Thatcher we're just gonna we're gonna do a behind closed doors you know jiu-jitsu session. But you look at it too, like a guy like Kyle O'Reilly who just got his pro roll, like. Kyle, I think, is one of the best harmonies of jiu-jitsu mixed in with pro wrestling. Uh, the way that he uses guard passes mixed in with neon belly, mixed in with his submission game, is really awesome. And uh, that's like Kyle is a guy I want to change his regular jiu-jitsu with at some point because I know how good he is. Um, and Kyle and I, have, you know, we had a couple conversations, you know, back, you know, a couple years ago before he was signed. Um, we were in when we shared a locker room at Evolve just about jiu-jitsu and jiu-jitsu in general. And he's a really cool guy. And he's got a really, a lot of really great views on how to mix jiu-jitsu and pro wrestling. I feel like in today's wrestling, a lot of guys are doing high flying and, and you know, they're really kind of just trying to do too much stuff. Do you think that it really should go more to the shoot style? Because I feel like that is kind of the guys that can really get over as legitimate, real, and be, be tough guys. And it's almost too much high flying. Am I crazy saying that maybe the shoot style is maybe, maybe where we need to lean towards? I don't think it's crazy. I, I think that, you know, wrestling, and I, I've always heard Regal say this, pro wrestling is a circus, so everything's got to, you know, there, there, there's, a, there's a little bit of everything, you know, at the circus, and I think that's where it needs to be. You can't just load a card up with all high-flying. You can't necessarily just load a card up with all shoot style. You can't, 
you know, just, you know, makes a card up with all wrestling or all comedy. There's got to be a little bit of everything. Um, there's got to be some strong style mixed in there, you know, kind of like the, the open challenge fight you'd have at the circus versus, you know, the acrobats versus the clowns versus, you know, the bearded lady. You know, that's really where all the harmony comes. I will say, though, um, in the shoot style type shows that have been put on over the past couple of years, uh, you know, Josh Barnett's blood sport last year is a great example. You know, that was all shoot style, and the crowd loved it. Um, I just did a show last October, early November, uh, for Paradigm Pro Wrestling where it was all UWFI rules, and it was one of their best shows they've ever done in terms of attendance, in terms of uh, views on independentwrestling.tv. So I definitely do think that there's a definite shoot style resurgence coming, and I also think that with, like, if I – if I'm not mistaken, internetindependentwrestling.tv just got battle arts on their service. And from my conversations with the people that are, you know, up high there, you know, battle arts has done very well on their service. And hopefully, you know, it's going to lead to some more, you know, shoot style resurgence once, you know, wrestling can kind of hits, hits hard and comes back. I saw that. That's awesome. They had a battle arts kind of random. I don't know how the hell they got that library. But that is very, very cool um, that they were able to do that. You, you said studying kind of UWFI. Is there guys when you're kind of watching the old stuff that you're going to be able to like watch and say maybe like a Sakuraba or something and say like, oh, I'm going to steal that or I'm going to take that or I'm using that. Is there certain things or is it just kind of an all-encompassing thing? It's an all-encompassing thing, but like I love watching Sakuraba. He's one of my favorites. And when people ask me what a dream match is, like Sakuraba in like a kind of blood sport, UWFI style rules is like my dream type match. Um but I also like watching, like, and I, I even I think I put a tweet out about this in early April, and I talked about how Norman Smiley gets really slept on for how great he was doing shoot style. Like, watching uh, some old Norman Smiley UWFI stuff is great, and uh, probably one of my my active dream match that I want at some point is Minoru Suzuki. I I could watch Minoru Suzuki wrestle all day every day, um, and just the intensity versus the violence versus the believability versus everything he does is just so perfect to me. That's some damn good dream matches right there. And then you forget that, that Norman Smiley, because people think of screaming Norman and the jokey stuff, but when he was in mm-hmm. Japan doing the UWFI, he was unbelievable. There's no doubt yeah, about he's, that. He's great. And like I said, he gets, he gets slept on a lot. And uh, really, if you can, if, if, there's actually a great Suzuki versus Norman Smiley UWFI match that's on YouTube. That's awesome. I recommend anyway check out. Yeah. yeah, I have to check that out. Now, as far as kind of MLW, when you made your debut in MLW, if I can just go back to that, what was kind of the thought process there? Because MLW is slowly but surely kind of creeping up the ranks and really solidifying themselves. And maybe WWE is number one or AEW is number two, you know, something like that. But MLW is really creeping into that third spot and kind of overtaking some of the other promotions out there. So what was it like debuting for MLW? Yeah, I mean, debuting for MLW was awesome. Um, when MLW did their relaunch, I'm such, like, a wrestling nerd. Like, I remember MLW from back in its early 2000s incarnation. And when they did their relaunch, um, it, it was something that I kept an eye on and I always was interested in. Obviously, you know, when Tom went there and when Jeff Cobb went there and guys like that were going there, I had, I had a greater interest. Um, at the time, I was working in Evolve and Evolve and MLW didn't play didn't play kindly with each other while Evolve was still a company. Um, so I kind of bided my time. Um, when my Evolve run kind of ended, I took a few months. So I took about six or so months to just really rebuild myself. Um, and then I reached out to MLW. 
there was a very mutual interest there. And then the ability to debut was awesome. Um, I got to debut in, in Dallas, you know, in a really packed building. Um, and it was, it was something that was completely new to me. Um, you know, television production trucks outside, the lighting rig, uh, the massive video wall, you know, it was a whole new experience. Um, and it's something that I, you know, I really, at this point, you know, felt that I was ready for. I felt like I was ready to kind of take the next step in my wrestling career, and I really think MLW is that next step. Yeah, man, MLW, and I love how on YouTube they have underground, and obviously, you know, on being sports, they'll they'll, they'll have uh, diffusion and stuff like that. But I love going back, like they just put out Vampiro against um, Christopher Daniels from years mm-hmm. gone by. I mean, I think we're just talking about like 2003. I mean, we're talking about. 17, 16 years ago, whatever it was when that match happened in, in Philly. Just awesome to kind of go back and watch that and just see where MLW is today, still thriving. For sure. And sure. I think that that's, you know, due to guys like Court and his team, really, 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 you know, hammering down uh, these deals. And obviously with the zone being, being the biggest new deal, and I still think that from what I've been told, you know, there's still negotiations going for other stuff. So, you know, court has been a busy man during quarantine and pre-quarantine. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely see bright future with MLW for sure. Now, as far as MLW, you mentioned Dallas, Texas, and you immediately think of guys like the Von Erichs, of course. Mm-hmm. But there's been some other guys that you've had some great matches uh, with in MLW. What you know? What's the kind of the thoughts on how you've been kind of progressing in MLW so far? Obviously, Tim Felty is dominant, but what do you think about yourself and how you've progressed so far in MLW? Um, it's been an interesting climb for sure. Um, when I got brought in originally, the thought process was to work either against Tom or against Thatcher at the time. Uh, clearly, things, you know, kind of changed with uh, Thatcher doing what I honestly thought he'd never do, and that was time with WWE. Um, and then the idea was to kind of reunite Team Filthy. And I think, you know, the moment that that was on the table, uh, definitely going to go to bat for me to be a member of it, uh, mainly because it worked out so perfectly. So um, I think that, you know, every time out there, it's a new experience for me. And I'm trying to get better, and I'm trying to just learn, and I'm trying to really improve every time out there. Um, you know, you look at some of my – I mean, like – my first couple matches were very much just like, and even some of my more recent matches, you know, they're, they're kind of showcase types and I'm really looking forward to, you know, working, you know, more long style, more long form matches, hopefully something like, you know, what we had planned with the Von Eriks before, um, before everything happened. Um, but I really think that you look at like Tom and I versus Puma King and uh, extreme tiger down in Mexico. And it was really, you know, an ability for me to do more than I had gotten a chance to show off moves wise and, and what I can really do. And hopefully, you know, once we're back to running shows, you know, it allows me to kind of continue to improve upon that and just continue to grow. As we hit the wind down, head towards the finish. Do you have some, I know it's kind of a young career, but you probably have some, do you have some favorite matches or maybe even some favorite opponents when you really kind of just look at the, the landscape of what you've done so far in your short career? Yeah, absolutely. So, for sure, one of my favorite opponents is Tim Thatcher. Um, I have had, I think I had six matches with him in 2018, um, the first of which being a tag team match against Tim and Walter, which is one of my favorite matches in my career. Um, And, you know, Tim and I always worked out really well. A lot of really aggressive grappling mixed with really aggressive striking, which is me to a T. Um, When I was about six months into wrestling, I got the opportunity to wrestle Zack Sabre Jr., uh, which is very daunting for anybody six months into wrestling. And uh, Zach took really good care of me 
And uh, we had a really great match for AIW based out of Cleveland. I think that match is free on YouTube uh, for anybody to check out. And that's always a match that I remember and I always carry very fondly. Um, and then I've got two others to really put over. Obviously, Filthy Tom is probably one of my favorite opponents. We had three we had three singles matches in the Cleveland area. The first of the first match is one of my favorite matches we ever had. And then the last match was a dog car match that was really in, insane and awesome. And then I'm going to put over one of my students that I had a, a long feud with last year, uh, Josh Bishop. If you have not heard of him, Josh Bishop is likely the future of uh, pro wrestling. He is about 22 years old. He's about six foot three, and he is Sid Vicious reincarnated. Um, we had a really fun feud last year that culminated WrestleMania weekend with a really violent match. Um, and I really think that that or I really think that Josh has all the tools to be, you know, the next big guy in wrestling, and hopefully maybe Court and uh, MSL takes some notice, and you know they ring up his phone because I really think Josh is a guy that's got all the intangibles to be really really good. Oh, high praise Sid. Love Sid. Was always a big fan of Sid. Such charisma. Sid looked like a monster. You know, he he mm-hmm. could talk even though people say he couldn't, but he really could. He was just nuts. I mean, he was he yeah. was a perfect uh, match. That's some big shoes to fill. But definitely going to keep an eye out on him. Absolutely, yep, definitely. Josh Bishop, based out of Cleveland, uh, the Edinburgh Sync Academy. He is trained a little bit by Johnny, and then he was one of my first students when I took over the school when Johnny and Candace got signed. So what is it like going from being the student to the teacher and, and you uh, know, going through that kind of cycle? Oh, boy, that that's a rough one because I was still a student at the time. So when I took over the school, I was only about a year into wrestling. I mean, it was, I mean, I was about a year and a half in, but I'd only been debuted for about a year. I mean, Johnny was gone at the beginning of 2017. So pretty much the beginning, the beginning of 2017, it was, it was, you know, trying to figure out and throw, throw, sh- lack of better words, chickens to all see what's stuck. Uh, I was going to a lot of seminars with more experienced guys writing stuff down. Uh, big shout out to Dr. Tom Pritchard and his curriculum book because that saved my life many, many a times. And it was, it, it was a weird balance because I had to figure out what was best for my career, but then I also had seven to ten careers below me that I had to also look out for. And, you know, now I'm, I'm definitely in a better spot now. I know how to contextualize it better. I know how to you know, still put my career on a pedestal, but also, you know, help out my younger kids that are coming up through the school. Um, and it was, it was definitely, it, it robbed me of a wrestling youth per se, um, because that gets into wrestling those first few years. is like, oh yeah, fun. I get to go travel with the boys and I'm, I'm having all this fun. And for me, it was like, okay, I'm traveling this weekend. I got to be back. Monday, we have class. I got to have a lesson plan ready. Go through, do all this, do all that. And it was a lot. It was a lot of like growing up really quick, which I think helped me, but also hurt me. And it wasn't until I, I really got a chance to talk with like Eric Stevens about it all that I was able to contextualize it all and put it all together about how it was actually a good thing for me. Because for a while, I wanted to think about how bad it was for me, but the ability to see some of my kids progress, like a Josh Bishop, like a Trey Lamar, um, like Chase Oliver, you know, these kids that are coming up now that are going to be the next kind of big wave in indie wrestling, it means a lot uh, because, you know, these kids came, they busted their ass, and they're going to reap the benefits. And, you know, now we have whole new sets of kids coming in every, you know, every couple months, you know, to the AW Wrestling Academy. And, now that I know what I'm doing, you know, and I have the, a really good support system in place, I, I really think that we're pumping out some of the best students in the United States. 
So where do you see yourself? Let's just say five years down the road, are you still going to be a trainer? Uh, still want to be with MLW? Are you still going to be pro wrestling? Do you want to do a little bit of jiu-jitsu? Where do you see yourself in five years? Uh, hopefully black bone jiu-jitsu for one. Um, hopefully MLW continues to ascent and I'm still there with MLW. Um, I would like to do something in based in Japan for sure within the next five years. Obviously this year is probably a wash, maybe even next year be a wash on that. But I'd like to definitely uh, do something in Japan, whether it be with Pro Wrestling Noah, you know, if, if this MLW New Japan becomes a thing, uh, based off of the science break thing with Filthy Tom, you know, I'd, I'd really love the chance to do some work in Japan. Um, I, I think that, you know, the shoot style is based out of, you know, has such roots in Japan that I think I have to go there and at least, you know, do one tour of Japan to make it feel like I've done, you know, everything I wanted in wrestling. Um, which also makes me want to do a tour of the UK because I think guys like Billy Robinson were so beneficial and World of Sports so beneficial in terms of technical wrestling that I really love to do kind of a tour of the UK. Um, Germany and, and WXW Ambition was one of my biggest goals, and I was able to do that last year. I'd love to go back and do Ambition in the future. Uh, I really think Ambition does shoot style wrestling probably as a tournament better than almost anything else in the world. Uh, to feel young, based out of WXW, he does an amazing job running that tournament, and I, I really love how Ambition comes off. So I'd love to do that again. Um, and yeah, I'd love to you know continue the ascent of the AWR the Absolute Intense Wrestling Training Academy and, you know, continue to keep pumping kids out and hopefully, you know, build up what everybody wants to talk about the indies dying and the indies are going to die. But as long as, you know, I keep seeing these, these hungry kids come into our academy, you know, the indies are never going to die because there's going to be hopefully somebody next to step up and take the spot of whoever gets signed or, or wherever, you know, they go. And, of course, you can check out MLW on MLW.com. You can check them out now on DAZN, that's D-A-Z-N, which is a great streaming app. Sports basically anytime you want, and now they add MLW to the lineup. Very, very cool. And, of course, check out MLW on YouTube for some underground TV. And then on BN Sports, you will have MLW Fusion. Please give me all of your plugs where the fans can kind of reach out and, and see what you got going on on all your social media. Yeah, uh, so my screen, Instagram, both the exact same. It's at dgreenybc, um, so check that out. Um, yeah, I try to do all kinds of fun stuff. On I, I will definitely all, – I'm always tweeting during, like, UFC cards. Obviously, there's not a lot else to do. So if you want to talk to fights on, you know, Wednesday night or talk to fights come Saturday night or whenever this airs, there's probably a UFC card airing every weekend at this point. Uh, you know, hit me up, and, and we'll talk to UFC. Um I'm always, like I said, always active on Instagram. So both of those are at dgreenybc. Uh, go to mlwshop.com. They have my first official shirt up on the site. Um, and then if you are looking for my merch, um, you can check that out at violenceisforever.bigcartel.com. Um, it's got my newest shirt. It's also got my ind- some of my other independent uh, tag team shirts from myself and my tag team partner on the indies, Kevin Koo. So check those out. And uh, otherwise, guys, hopefully, you know, we're back to wrestling here soon. And you guys see some new episodes of MLW Fusion, and we get this uh, this deal with the zone rolling. And, and, you know, MLW keeps on to that, you know, positive energy we had before the quarantine and before the shutdowns. All right. Great stuff. And I hope everyone checks in to see Dominic dominate along with Team Filthy on MLW. Dominic, thank you so much for all the time tonight. Really appreciate it. No problem, man. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.